Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastors blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today we're continuing our series on God's Word. Uh, this is the second part. Yesterday we did the importance of God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at the authority of God's Word. And our third part will be the sufficiency of God's Word. So having said that to begin, let me begin by reading a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 to 22. And this is a passage of scripture I often begin with when I speak to a new audience. The text says this, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I have found that especially in Uganda, there is a natural mindset that you are not supposed to question what the quote-unquote man of God tells you. This thinking tends towards people accepting anything a leader says and not holding leaders accountable for wrong doctrine or hypocritical behavior. The Bible gives every believer this instruction. We are not to despise someone preaching God's word or claiming to be, but we must test what they are saying, holding fast to what is good and abstaining from what is evil. This obviously raises a question. How do I know what is good and what is evil? What is my test kit I apply to preaching that I hear? Jesus says this is truth. According to John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. When we say something is true, we are saying it corresponds exactly with reality. So, Every truth claim must be tested by reality, and reality is defined by God in his word. So, for example, you hear some denominations preaching that if you keep the commandments and live a good life, God might allow you to enter heaven. They are saying two things with this position. First, that man can be righteous before God based on his own works. And second, that God might consider a man righteous based on that man's own works. Does the, does the Bible agree with those statements? Absolutely not. The Bible tells us these things about our sinful condition. In Romans 3, from verse 10 to 12, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. In Romans 3.23 we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. We see there is not a single person alive who God considers to be righteous. He says even our righteousness, even the good that we think is good, is filthy in comparison with his holiness. And concerning a person justifying himself before God by his works, the Bible says this. In Romans 3 verse 20 it says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
So God says, contrary to that position that I can obey the law and make myself righteous, God says the law doesn't serve to show me that I'm righteous, but actually it serves to show me that I'm a sinner and that I'm condemned before God because I don't keep the law perfectly. In Galatians 2.16, we find a similar statement. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is what we mean by speaking of the authority of God's word. It is the standard that all truth claims must agree with, and all statements that contradict it are proven to be lies. Jesus said the power of his truth would do this for his followers. In John 8, verses 31 and 32, we read, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Many people are held captive by the lie that salvation depends on what they do. Just in the few scriptures we've read, you should understand that is untrue. What does the Bible say salvation comes through? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God devised a method of salvation where he alone would receive all the glory. None of us will say in heaven that we are here because of the good deeds we did. We will all say we are only there because of the grace of God given freely to us. The righteousness of Christ must be given to us. It can't be earned. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 we read, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one example of very many that demonstrate the authority of God's word in a believer's life. On one occasion, the Sadducees brought a question to Jesus that they believed would prove he was wrong about the resurrection. You see, the Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife or spiritual realm of angels or demons. They were kind of like deists, actually, when you consider their theology. Here's their story and question that they gave to Jesus. We find it in Matthew 22 from verse 23 to 28. The same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. You see from their perspective how the Sadducees believed this question would make the resurrection impossible. And we find Mankind playing these types of philosophical games to this day, where they justify what is true or not true based on their own understanding of how things should be. But Jesus' answer is very instructive to us about the authority of God's word. He says, 
from if we continue reading from verse 29 to 33. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. The Pharisees and Sadducees disagreed on the doctrine of resurrection. This story that the Sadducees bring was probably one the crowds had heard many times in debates between the two groups. In a very brief reply, Jesus cuts down their whole argument. Notice why he says these men had erred. He says they didn't know the scriptures nor the power of God. He quotes the passage where he himself had appeared to Moses and told him he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the present tense, even though all those men had died many years before. We see that if we are very familiar with the truth, we will not be led astray by lies or have problems with the philosophical stories invented by opponents of God's truth. But there's a standard that we must comply with in order to access this authority. We must believe God's word is true. The Sadducees were rebuked not only for not knowing God's word, but also not knowing God's power. This meant they didn't believe in God's power. A lot of believers are struggling today with balancing man's scientific observation and man's philosophies with their contradicting claims to scripture. One such area is the attack on the Genesis account of creation. People say, well, we know for sure from science that the earth is hundreds of millions of years old. Therefore, the biblical account of creation must not be taken literally. Well, what's the problem with that? Those people are saying that we must interpret the Bible through what science says, rather than look at life according to what the Bible says. The Bible gives us the opposite perspective of this. In Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, we read, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. There's a lot of people that are adding to the Genesis account, suggesting things that are not there in Scripture, in order to try to harmonize their scientific perspective with what the Bible says. You know, science was once very confident that the earth was flat. Science was once sure draining people of their blood was a good way to fight illness. Science was once sure that people came from monkeys. Scientists later discovered all these previously held positions were totally false, and actually some of them were completely foolish. I'm a believer in Jesus. Though man might seem to be wise in contradicting what God says, what man says is not my standard of judging truth claims. God's word is, and must always be, our standard. This always happens eventually. In Romans chapter 3, verse 4, we read this. By no means let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. God's word always proves true in the end. 
though man might think temporarily that it's flawed. It is our authority. Every teaching you hear, and every position someone claims must be tested to see whether it agrees with Christ. If it doesn't, throw it away. It's a lie, and it comes from the father of lies, not from God. Lies bind and destroy, but the truth sets us free. God's word is our final authority. God bless you all.